Welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast, everything center fire and rim fire. I uh, want to, again, it seems like we have these things where we, we don't get to do these podcasts as often as we want. I think Dave's, uh, Dave's schedule is kind of leveling out a little bit, so we might be a little bit better here in the future. And uh, I've had some, some family issues I've had to take care of lately, but I uh, apologize for so long being between them and concerning the issues I had. Thanks to everybody who reached out to me. I appreciate it. I'm here again with uh, with Dave Thomas. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, nursing a small cold, but uh, not too bad. I just got back a couple days driving back from the Precision Rifle Expo, so it was a good weekend. Good, good, good. Well, you, you already had the COVID, so what the hell? Yeah, well, we've already been through that, so we'll see what this one is. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, if you need me to make you some chicken soup, I'll be glad to. <laughs> as long as it's All got right. some rum in it. <laughs> we have we have some of that around here too. I think a bottle or two. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a we um, have the, the rifles only accuracy podcast email that comes in, and we get questions on there. And I've got a couple of questions that I'm going to get to today. Uh, but the first one that came in, um, it had to do with gun numbers. And what I wanted to do was just reach out to the man himself. And so, also with us today is Kalen Wojcik from Modern Day Sniper. Welcome, sir. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on, Jacob. Man, thanks for thanks for taking the time. I know you got a busy schedule going on, and uh, and we really really appreciate you taking the time to to come on here and visit with us. Not a problem, man. This is um, I always like having conversations with you and um, Dave. I, I don't think we've actually met before, but um, pleasure to meet you over the phone. And thank you guys for having me on. No, yeah, man, for thanks sure. for coming. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to dive right into this because I know you have limited time, but this is a question that came in and I'm going to, I'm just going to read it exactly the way it came. And I'm just going to let you uh, rip into it, Kalen. And it says, gentlemen, thank you for an awesome podcast and all the information. A couple of questions, if you don't mind. Our M2010s are rated as nine guns and the 110s are 10 guns when using the H58 and like reticles, not by my choice. I was listening to Kalen and Phil when they were training with the Force Recon Platoon. They said that the 110s they had were not 10 guns. They were 10.5 guns. Where do these ratings come from, and how do we determine those for other calibers or loads? Say a slow 175 and a 308 versus a fast 155. Thank you for your time and the podcast. Anyway, there's the question, sir. Yeah. Um, so what, what, I, what I think he's referring to is the speed milling formula that has been baked into the H59 series reticles and, and all of the, the later designs from Horus Vision that were created by um, our super good buddy, Todd Hodnett. And those numbers are really, they're, they're constant. And so we figure out those, we figure out what those numbers are based upon the, the speed of which the bullet's traveling. And then you're going to correlate that to uh, a divisible number that will then in, in an ideal world, right in a perfect world when you're getting shot at and all hell's breaking loose and you're hopped up on Mountain Dew, you're, you're going to do your best to try to mill out a moving sprinting, partially exposed target from top of shoulders to top of head and then do some math and then do some more math to come up with your hold and then hopefully be able to find the proper hold with the wind in that complicated ass reticle and send a shot. So 
you you guys both you guys know that 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 stuff is it's really well suited for use on a training range with a piece of steel that has a really nice backstop so that way you can see where you miss and make your adjustments um, and a stationary target's obviously pretty simple to mill out um, when you're when you're in a training environment mm-hmm. right so yeah. those gun numbers it's really it's it's based upon the way that you utilize that uh, that speed milling formula and I and I'm I didn't understand first at first like whether the question was going to be um, you know trying to confuse wind gun number versus uh, this is that speed that speed milling number that that mm-hmm. that's that's the question I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, it, the, he states in here. Um, let me pull this back up. He states in here uh, that he wanted to know. Let's see where the, these ratings come from. And so, just so let's um, let's back off of the the speed mill and let's let's go to the ratings. Just the ratings. Where do we get yep. those numbers? So I'm actually going to look up, I have, um, I, I'm, I'm going to look up right now in front of me, the, a worksheet that I, that I created for the Marines, uh, for this particular, uh, reticle. So that way that they can have something of quick reference to learn how to use this because it's kind of complicated and the individual who designed it talks super, super fast. And it's very difficult to understand unless you actually see it written out in front of you. And so what I can do, Jacob also is when I pull this thing up, um, I'll just email it to you, and that okay. way you guys can put that up on your website if you have the ability to do that. And so that's the yep. resource there for those guys if they if they want it. Okay, that, I appreciate that, Galen. That'd be great. Yeah. Give me give me a couple of seconds here, and I'll figure it out. Yeah, and while we're waiting, just for the uh, the the people that might not be familiar, what what rounds or what what is the uh, what are we shooting at in one ten and the other one? The 110 is a 308, and the 2010 is a 300 Win Max. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there we go, because I know some people are going to be wondering. Yeah. And that typically the round that they're using is a, is a 190-grain Sierra Match King. Mm-hmm. And that, that 190, that 190 is, a, is, a, is a pretty special bullet, um, but they, they're, they're – um, I, I love it. I, I love that. I love that particular cartridge. Yeah, and the 110 is, what, a 175? Yeah, 175 Sierra Match King. It's the same thing. It's 118 long range for the military guys, and you know the yeah that that's it's just it's basically federal gold medal match. I'm almost there, guys. I don't yeah, take your time, brother. Take your time. Yeah, we'll, we'll just talk amongst ourselves. How's everything going down at your your neck of the woods in the southern tip of Texas? Uh, it's it's starting to cool off finally. Um, so we don't know if yeah. it's going to be um, 105 outside and and hot or uh, raining and uh, 55. So we have no idea. Yeah, yeah. We finally got some cool weather here too. I think we were in the 40s last night. Caitlin's probably laughing at us like that's cold. <laughs> oh no, I put it. I, I I've been down here yeah, for got, 10 years. Our our snow level's about to drop down to. Uh, uh, two thousand feet tonight, so we're gonna get we're gonna get some white stuff. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> yeah, I put a jacket on when it hits sixty. Now I've, I've totally yeah, well, uh, you're, turned you're, into something. Yeah, you're a South Texas boy. That's why. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's down here in this part of the world. It's the only where only place where you can wear a parka in the morning and be shorts and a t shirt in the afternoon. I guess there's other places too. Yeah, it's all right. Place. Okay. All right, guys, this might be I, – I just found a worksheet, and I'm going to go ahead and email this to you as soon as I get off with you guys, uh, Jacob. 
but um, basically I'm going to walk you guys through the steps here that I have for that. And okay. you guys can, you know, you guys can talk amongst yourselves and um, it's a little on the complex side and it's, it would be a lot better if I had a whiteboard in front of me that I could write it out and show people like visually. Um, so what we're going to do is um, basically what, what happens is you're going to figure out by comparing your rifle's data to the corresponding target size and mills. And so let's just say that, um, that 12, that 12 inch target, you mill it out at 0.7. Um, and in order for you to hit that target at 0.7 mils, you need 2.1 mils of elevation to do so. So that would be like, um, you know, that's all going to be cartridge dependent, obviously. So if you're shooting your 300 wind mag, you're going to want to look at your ballistic data and figure out, Hey, at 0.7 mils, a 12 inch target is this range. And I'm going to need this many mils to hit it. Okay. okay. So then you're going to remove the decimal from the target size in mils. Okay. So that would be a 0.7 mil target would then be a number that would be seven. Okay. And then you're going to add 2.1 to that. So that would be your elevation in mils. So that would be 9.1. And we just round that 10 down to nine. And now nine is your constant for that particular projectile speed. Does that make sense? Yeah, but what do I do with that nine? Oh, okay, yeah. So that nine, what you're going to do is you're going to use there's there's numbers on the top of those of those reticles that are designed to be used with this speed milling formula. And you can do it with you can do it with other reticles. You don't have to have that particular reticle. Um, but what you do with that is you're going to, you're going to divide that number or I'm sorry, you're going to subtract that number from whatever, like, let's just say your 12 inch target fits in the number four bracket, right? You're going to take mm-hmm. the number four from nine and there is your hold. Does okay. that make sense? It does. It does. Yep. That's, that's the way that that thing is designed to use, to be used. Um, me personally, I think, having been a combat sniper myself and understanding what it's like to engage multiple targets in a really high stress scenario, uh, your brain does not work that way under those situations. It does not, at least mine doesn't work that way. Um, I haven't been shot at in a few years. It's been a minute. Um, but I can tell you, even when I was younger, your brain's not functioning in that regard. Your brain is functioning at a really, really low level and honestly, the best method of engagement for me is just using body holds and understanding your, your dope and your max point blank theory. And just, it's a lot of it's intuitive shooting. This right. is very cognitive based. Um, and we all know that, that cognitive thought process and, and conscious thought process doesn't really work that great under tremendous stress. Um, and so uh, me personally, I don't really... I, we had to teach it to the Marines because that was part of the program of instruction that they that they were like, hey, we need to learn how to use these radicals. But outside of that, as soon as we got that class out of the way, we were like, hey, guys, let's move on to like the real practical aspects of this. And we're going to start focusing on max point blank and body holds. So that way um, we're, we're giving you guys the realistic understanding of what you're truly going to uh, experience in those scenarios. Yeah, it's kind of like um, you're shooting a 2010 
and you're in, you know, reasonable distances, you put your 400 yard dope on and call it a day. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, Hey, okay. I need to hold, I need to hold in his gut or I need to hold in his throat or I need to hold at the top of his head and we're going to make stuff. We're going to put holes in things. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, this is a little bit, this is a, what you explained right there is, is, is all well and good. But then let's say that I'm just trying to figure out my gun number for the wind hold. Okay. That's, that's super easy to do. Um, th- that's super easy to do because when we're working with gun number, like with wind, like that's, so what we're going to do with that, and I'll also send you the wind worksheet to Jacob, so that way you can post I it. I have it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I have uh, it. So, so what you're going to do is you're going to set, you're going to consult your Oracle, right, which is your computer program. You're going to make sure that all your current atmosphere is in there and that everything's jiving. You want to have a validated trajectory. And what you're going to do, for me anyways, I look at 600 yards, and I set my wind at either 270 degrees from left to right or nine o'clock. Okay. You guys are using, if you guys are using a, uh, a Kestrel, you're going to want to make sure that your spin drift is turned off. If you guys are using uh, other ballistic computer programs, you're going to want to make sure that you're looking at raw wind data and not spin drift included into it. So at 600 yards, then you're going to manipulate your wind speed Okay, you're going to manipulate your wind speed, either add or subtract miles per hour until 600 yards, then becomes 0.6 mils. So as an example, like my hunting rifle uh, is a 7 millimeter short action ultra mag. And when I was working my gun number up for my high buck hunt that I was going to be up about 7,000 feet hunting, that gun is now a 10 mile an hour gun, which means... At 600 yards, every 10 miles an hour equals 0.6 mils worth of wind. Okay, that makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. And uh, then, as you're you're just trying to find one base that you can use at all of your ranges. Correct. And and so there will there'll be a threshold, right? There'll be a threshold at which that number you have to start adding tenths. Um, and that's all cartridge and, and bullet speed dependent. Usually, like, usually six five three mortars are going to be six to seven mile an hour guns right around sea level, and that is going to work out to about eight hundred yards. Three oh eight are going to be four three to four mile an hour guns, depending on how long your barrel is and what kind of bullet you're shooting. Um, and your three hundred wind mags and above, those are going to be eight to ten mile an hour guns, just depending on you know how fast the bullet. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so this, and like you say, with that being like his question came down to what about a fast 155 versus a slow 175 in a 308. And so this works for everything. You're just manipulating the numbers until you can come up with a number that works. Correct. Yep. And so all of my guns, like all my guns, like I can pull one off the shelf, like my six creed competition rifle, that's a seven mile an hour gun. Mm -hmm. I just know it in my head. And I know that Anything, any target, 800 yards and in, I'm going to be able to use my gun number multiplier and get accurate wind data. All right. And so that begs the question, uh, what happens whenever we've got uh, half value wind? 
So if you got a half value win, it's just like everything else. You're just going to slice the pie. So okay. let's just say we've got that 600-yard target. We've got a 10-mile-an-hour full value right to left wind, and then the wind direction shifts. Now it's blown from, let's just say it's blown from 11 o'clock. It's now a half a value. All I'm mm-hmm. going to do is I'm going to cut that in half, and it's going to be 0.3 instead of 0.6. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Yep. Well, I think that we, I think that um, what was going on was there, there were some, in the question, there were some things that were kind of being tried to be blended together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. All right. Well, Kalen, uh, again, thank you. And I want to just say um, that I have, I have been here on site when Kalen has gone through this. So I was asking a bunch of questions that I already knew the answer to, because I wanted to hear him say it, but uh, December coming up, not very, not very far away, 11th through yeah. the 13th, uh, modern day sniper will actually be at rifles only, uh, 11th through the 13th. So if you want to see this, um, you know, put up on the whiteboard, cause he said that it'd be a lot easier with a whiteboard. <laughs> if you want to see that, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, come in and come in and, and, uh, and get it straight from straight from killing. And, um, yeah, so, and we still, you still have room in that class too, correct? Yep. We still got room in that. We got room in our mover clinic as well. Okay, very good. And the mover clinic is the eighth and ninth, and uh, and and that's here at Rifles Only. And then you you can you guys can take a day off on the tenth, and then we get started with that that uh, at uh, Precision Rifle Course on the eleventh through the thirteenth. So yep, if anybody's interested in that, uh, reach out to Modern Day Sniper, uh, get signed up. You got a website there that they can go to. Yep, uh, yep, yep. Modern Day Modern Day Sniper dot com uh, event, and all of our classes are listed right there. It can't couldn't be any easier to get registered. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, Kalen, again, I know that I know that whenever I spoke to you earlier, uh, you said you had a lot to do. You're flying out tomorrow. Busy guy. And I just wanted to get you on for this particular question. And, and I really can't thank you enough for doing that. And I can't wait to see you next month. Dude, me too, man. I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, we had such a great time last year. And every time I come down and see you guys, you and Lisa, we always have a blast. So thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. All right, man. Yeah, thanks for being here. Y'all take care and have a good day. All right, man. All right, you too, sir. Take care. Yeah, so it's pretty good to have him be able to come on. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, Hopefully, yeah, it sounds like we're still on the air. That's the first time we've we've cut a guest on on the air. So it looks like uh, no technical difficulties. We're good. Yeah, well, we're learning. I mean, we haven't had that many of these, so, so uh, that's coming out. But no, nah, it's, it's really good. And I, I, we we did this this uh, class down here at Rifles Only last last year, and um and just being able to have you know Kalen go up and put all these numbers up on the whiteboard, like he says, it, it does it does hit home a lot better. Although it, it's very he claims that it's complicated, but whenever he starts explaining it and answer questions, it turns into a real simple thing. So um that's that's that was good i i'm really appreciative to him for for coming on oh yeah that was awesome uh hopefully we'll get him back again and uh, maybe in december we'll do one but uh yeah I will, oh yeah um yeah i'm a max point blank guy like um yeah i don't you know well for that kind of stuff for yeah. that kind of stuff absolutely you know if you're out in a, in a hunting scenario or you know a competition scenario you can you can add some more of that stuff but oh, whenever yeah. whenever it's time to cut nuts it's you know it, it's pretty much max, max point blank so that yeah. works out all right. Well, well, another question that came up, um, and this one is, what can I do to develop a more stable position on props? My wobble zone is about 0.2 in all directions from center. How much reticle, and if that's one question, uh, how much reticle displacement on recoil is considered good fundamentals? I can get it usually to within 5 to 1.5 mils from the initial point of aim after recoil, usually vertical above the target. 
and within one mil left to right from POA after recoil. These are things that keep me keep me uh, awake at night. Um, keep up the good work. Dave's comments about being laser focused on the fundamentals on each shot really resonated with me at, and is what my current training regimen looks like. I'm going to do this uh, at a match that's coming up. So uh, getting on that one, um, that wobble zone, wobble zone. We've talked about it before. Um, and that point too. Well, <laughs> you want to go for it and then I'll go for it. Sure. Um, uh, it's like everything else. It depends. Um, yeah. Uh, on a, and it depends on uh, several things. One, how stable your prop is. So we'll, I'll just assume that you're on like a steel barricade that's pretty stable. And then it comes down to, oh, a rifle weight, bag weight, and all that. I mean, if you're if you're using, uh, if you want to go into the gamer side of things, which some people want to hear about, I mean, if you're using a 22-pound rifle and an 8-pound bag, you can back off of that rifle just a little bit. I don't want to say the free recoil word, but it's a version of it. You back off and your, your wobble goes to almost nothing. However... Um, if you're using a larger rifle or you're, you absolutely, you know, you're using a 308 or a hunting rifle or just a larger rifle in general, like I was shooting, uh, over the weekend, I was shooting a 300 PRC off a tripod. Uh, you, you can't mm-hmm. free recoil that, um, it's not going to no. work. And so if it's a, a pretty heavy rifle, um, with a pretty low recoil, I try to get my wobble down to zero if I have to just back off a little bit because I can use the rifle weight to my advantage. However, if it's uh, like that that 300 PRC, I shot it off a tripod at uh, a thousand. Uh, we were messing around with it and kept it in them away with three shots. I was pretty happy with that. But my wobble zone was it was fairly large, you know, because I was really engaged in that. I say fairly large. It it, it was a couple tenths um, mm-hmm. back and forth, maybe a half. And it's like we've talked about before, as long as you keep your natural point of aim at the center of that target and the center of that wobble, when you pull the trigger, it's going to go there. So right. I don't worry about, you know, I think actually it was funny that we just had Kalen on. I think I've heard him say it on his podcast or something is uh, embrace your wobble. Uh, it's going to be mm-hmm. there. Um, use it to your advantage. Um, look at it. If, uh, if, if you got a point two wobble, make sure the point one. Uh, it, it's a point one on the left side and a point one on the right side and uh, breathe out and, and, and squeeze or pull the trigger. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, that's what I do. So I would say he, he his quite, he sounds like he's doing fairly well. I mean, point two in all directions, isn't necessarily terrible depending on the, the prop. Uh, you can get a little bit better with a really heavy rifle if you're not as engaged as much, uh, or if you're using a sling or, or other techniques, you can, you can get it really rock stable. And, uh, Depending on the, the cartridge, I would say 0.5 to 1 coming straight up isn't awful. I mean, you're going to have, if you've got some left or right, we've talked about it before, the, the rifle's escaping to the left or the right side of you. You got to maybe engage a little bit different. But I, I hate to kind of come off and say it all depends, but um, it really does. And and I just look at it situationally. If, uh, if I think my wobble is acceptable for what I've got going on, then I, I make sure my natural point of aim is, is centered up and I send it. If it's not, then I look at rebuilding the position. Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to tackle that first one, um, you know, he's getting his wobble zone down to, to point two, you know, and you were talking about that's going to depend on, you know, the, the stability of the prop and, you know, the, the weight of the gun and everything else. But it also, it also depends on your target. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if my target is point four wide and my wobble is completely on the target, I still want to make sure that the center of my wobble is in the center of the target to help me compensate for any sort of wind call that I screwed up, which yep. I do quite often. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And it's more, it's more 
going to be one of those things to where, okay, we get guys out here that are training. It's just happened here recently. You know, we, we start shooting off barricades and man, my wobble, I, you know, we, we even do it at a hundred on the three inch target. And it's like, okay, my wobble is like, it, it's off, you know, that three inch target. I said, okay, that's fine. Just understand this is the first time that you've done this. Mm-hmm. The more you do it, the more stable you get. And that wobble where that wobble could be, you know, uh, a mill in each direction. Well, the next time you do it, it's 0.8 in that, in each direction. And then it's 0.6 and then it's 0.4. So there's, there's no, the, the, the question, the question basically is what can I do to reduce my wobble? And it's, it's an answer that, you know, it comes up all the time. It, it, it practice is yeah. what you have to do. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like you're going to have some sort of, you know, widget that you can buy or anything like that. It's going to come down to practice. And again, you know, you have to figure out, and I know you've talked about it, you know, what is an acceptable wobble? Well, if I'm getting, if I'm getting point two, you know, on there and I'm shooting at 600 yards, you know, off of a barricade, um, yeah, I, I don't really think I would be that disappointed with myself. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I would yeah. try, yeah, I would try to, I would try to get it down, you know, to where it's less. And, and it, it's kind of the same thing that you're saying, you know, the, the, we had talked about this in the, in the dry fire practice, you know, we've all dry fired our rifles and we see that radical jump a little bit. Well, when that reticle jumps, what's happening is it, it's going to where you're naturally aligned. So you have to have faith in natural point of aim. And if you got your natural point of aim right, that's going to that's gonna solve, you know, so many shooter errors just with that one fundamental, you know. And again, you can slap the trigger and you can break at different points of your breathing cycle and that's going to cause you vertical and, and horizontal. Um, and you got to watch out for that. But on the other hand, it, it just it just comes down, you know, to really good practice. Um Radical displacement on recoil. Um, this one, you know, I kind of see that if I'm getting, you know, within 0.5 to 1.5, you know, from my initial after recoil, and this is vertical, I'm kind of okay yeah. with that, you know, and because that, that 0.5 to 1.5 could be the condition of what you're shooting off of. Because if you're shooting hard to hard, you know, on a, on a, you know, on a barricade, well, yeah, you're going to get more because the gun's vibrating. But then you put a big bag up there and you're going to see that get reduced. The side to side is what I have problems with uh-huh. because, and, and you, you had made mention of this as well. If you're getting all that side to side, you know, you know, after the recoil, then you're not straight behind the gun. You're not coming straight back on the trigger or you're not holding the gun straight into your shoulder pocket. So try rebuilding that position and try again. And uh, again, there's no way that you're going to be able to do this during a match or while you've got a white tail in your, in your crosshairs it's going to take practice on a range, you know, and somebody good watching you, coaching you and, and making sure that, that you're, you know, doing all the fundamentals, right. But you have to rebuild that position and, uh, you know, get it to a point to where you shouldn't have anything side to side because there's nothing in there. If the gun goes side to side, it's because you're causing it to go side to side. It, I mean, the gun left to its own devices, it, it will, it won't go side to side. And it's, uh, there was, um, Jacob Godfordson who had his birthday yesterday, 81 years. He, he had a, he had what's called a 308 bear. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this thing was. I don't know if it was a 50 BMG that was next down to 30 cal, but it wasn't, it was, a, it was some other yeah, large cartridge. But anyway, this, yeah, but this thing, this thing recoiled like crazy, but it was a, a thousand yard bench rest gun. And this is, this is vintage stuff I'm talking about. This is a, a decade and a half ago, but he got that thing up on the tower. And of course it had a two ounce trigger cause it was a bench rest gun and he got it all set up and he was manipulating the trigger with a pencil, you know, just an mm-hmm. eraser on a pencil. And that gun, it just recoiled straight to the rear. It didn't bounce side to side. It didn't do any of that. I mean, you weren't even touching the gun except with the eraser on a pencil. And so that, that was a real clear indication to me 
you know, you know that there's nothing that's going to cause the rifle to go side to side except our inputs on it. And so if you have to rebuild that position, practice it, build the neural pathways, and then go back to it again. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of where we are on that. But I, I really, I appreciate the, I appreciate the question. And really, uh, point two, uh, I think I would, I think I would go and celebrate with the Dos Equis on that one because that's not, that's not a bad wobble. No, I mean, point two, I mean, I'm assuming uh, if he's saying point two either way up to point four, maybe you can get a little bit tighter. But if he's talking uh, point two, like point one either way, uh, yeah. I would, uh, I, I'd keep running with that. I, I'm, that's about where mine is at on, you know, with a heavy rifle and, and really getting focusing in on stuff. And yeah, for sure. And like you were saying, it's just practice. I, I may have said it before. I don't remember. We've done a few of these now. Um, if you're at the practice range guys, uh, what I like to do, and it, I promise you it'll uh, make your practice infinitely uh, more productive is uh, don't take more. If you, I don't take more than one shot per position. If you really want to take two to see how your recoil and your follow-up is, that's fine. But I, if I say I do a, uh, I've seen guys that'll do say a, a 60 or let's just say a 40. Let's make the math easy. Uh, they do a 40, a round count practice and they shoot, you know, five, uh, five rounds. They built eight positions. I do one uh, shot per. So in my 40 rounds, I built 40 positions. And if that's what you're trying mm-hmm. to do, um, you know, for matches or hunting or, or work or whatever, in my opinion, you're going to get, cause I mean, a lot of this is about building your position. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, you know, once you get your fundamentals down, I mean, the, the breathing and, uh, pulling the trigger or pressing the trigger is, is kind of easy at that point, quote unquote. And, uh, it's all about building positions. So I would much rather build 40 positions. And especially if you only have once a week or once a month to practice, I'd much rather build 40 positions than eight. Yeah, for sure. And also make sure that at least 30% of that is support side. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You never know when that shot's going to, you never know when that shot's going to come up. So I think people are kind of getting away from shooting support side. I'm, I'm, I'm embracing it more and more. Yeah. I actually have uh, found myself uh, doing it on purpose. They, they don't tell me I have to, but uh, I found myself doing a lot more on purpose at matches. Now when it's a little bit weird, I'm like, ah, I'll just shoot it on my left side. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, cool deal. Well, listen, there was, I had a couple things that I was mm-hmm. going to talk about, Dave. I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't, we were in such a hurry because Kalen had stuff to do. So I didn't get a chance to visit with you much before that. But um, we had that question that came up on the structured barrels. And I oh, yes. said that I had, and I'm, I may have, I may have brought this up in the last podcast. It's been a real whirlwind for me lately. I don't remember. But anyway, I reached out to TACOM uh, and they said they're going to call me back and they actually did. Mm-hmm. And um, so what they're planning on doing is, is uh, coming down to rifles only. And we're going to shoot some of their guns and they're going to get on the podcast with us. So we'll be able to answer that question. I don't know if it'll be by the end of the year, but we'll be able to answer that question quite a bit better um, as time goes by. But one of the topics that I wanted to talk about in, in this in this particular uh, podcast is press checks. What is your position on press checks? Uh, my position on press checks? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I do them. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I check, uh, a lot of times I'll, I might check the first one, you know, it depends on whether I'm work or hunting. I'll, I'll look and visually or do a press check and make sure that I definitely have a round in there. And then if I'm, mm-hmm. if it's at a match and I'm on the clock, I, I shoot my rifle enough. I, I usually know what it feels like when I'm getting around in there, but every once in a while, mm-hmm. you know, something will chamber pretty smooth and I'll reach up there. I'll back it off, reach up there and check, um, on my, uh, if that's what you're asking about. Yeah, that was it. And kind of the, the definition of that is just to making sure that whenever you close the bolt, it actually does pick up around. And, um, 
I was doing a class um, not long ago, but there was a, a student that was in, and I, I we kept getting the the dreaded click of death. You know what I mean? And it was, um, oh. and I could tell when it was, I I could tell when it was going to happen. And we had talked about press checks, and I could tell when it was going to happen. And when I could tell when it was going to happen and I knew it was coming and I let them do it anyway so that I could see if they flinched, you know, fortunately this guy was not flinching. It's just that he couldn't tell whenever it, I'm like you, if I close, if I close the bolt, I can tell if I strip one off the magazine or if I don't. But if you, if you're unfamiliar with the gun, uh, simply all you do is you close the bolt on what you think is a live round, bring the bolt back about an inch put your finger in there and see if there's brass. If there's brass in there, you know, you got a loaded gun. Uh, another way that you can do it is you can actually just look at it. You know, you can open up that bolt a little bit, glance at it. If you see gold and you know that whenever you close the bolt, you're closing the bolt on a, you know, on a live cartridge. Um, the, there's multiple ways that you can do it with carbines. Uh, same thing, close the bolt, just, you know, crack the bolt back again, you know, feel it or go and look at it. Another one is you put in a, a 28 round magazine. If it, if it's uh, you know, it's, it's always going to be a, mm-hmm. a double-sided magazine for the M4s and stuff like that. You can say, okay, my first round is on the right. You know, you, you insert the magazine, run the bolt, drop the magazine. If the next round is on the left, you know that that round had to go somewhere. So, you know, it's in the chamber. Um, but the, the press checks are one of those things that you can, and I know at, by the end of the week, the guy, and I just thought it was interesting because I told him, I said, just feel whenever you close the bolt, listen for it and feel it. And you should be able to tell when you start to strip off a magazine. And what the problem was is the, the magazines weren't, you know, they weren't made it up exactly the way they were supposed to be in this particular gun. And but that happens a lot. Um, and so, you know, with different chassis and stuff like that. So at any rate, by the end of the week, he could tell, you know, he could really tell, you know, he would go up and do that. And of course, seating the magazine is another thing, you know, seat the, whenever I see the magazine in my AW or my AT, you know, the magazine goes in and then I give it a little tuck, do the thing on a, on a carbine, you know, and that's, that's where you make sure that that magazine seated. So you do get the best chance for it to pick up and, and strip off that round. But on occasion, this one wouldn't do it. And I don't know if it was just, I, you know, just, uh, the magazine was failing or, or whatever. But that press check is pretty important. And uh, just just like I said, I'll say it again, just like you mentioned, pretty soon you're going to be able to tell, you know, whenever it strips one off the magazine or not. But that takes practice as well. Yeah. And then I've had times, uh, for example, you know, we all have little hiccups under the clock. I've had times where, well, like I said, sometimes uh, maybe maybe the round's a little bit undersized or for whatever reason, it just glides off really well. And I don't know. So I'll, I'll do a press check. Um, I have had a couple times where for whatever reason, like I said, stress or under the clock, I thought it was there. You get that click. Um, if I get a click, um, I, uh, 100% of the time, the next round is getting a press check because I've done it before when I was a little bit newer to this stuff, I'd get the click, I'd run the bolt and then I get a click again that, you know, yeah. I, one click is bad. Uh, two clicks is terrible. So I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, if I, for whatever reason, get that click, um, cause now if, if I have any question, I usually do a press check. Once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll think it's good and I get a click. And then, like I said, if you get a click 100% of the time, the next round needs to be a press check unless you're absolutely sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. And usually it's usually what, from what I've seen, it's just a magazine not seated well, Yeah, you know, something like that. So it, it's not really a big deal. And the other thing I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, um, but it's just, uh, I've, you know, going through and I've seen this over the years, many, many, many times, but consistent hand position. And the reason I bring this up is I have a, I have a student that comes out pretty often and um, we always do a fundamentals eval before every, every class that we do, we'd go out and see, you know, exactly how our fundamentals are going. And um, this particular guy, he'd been shooting the same gun forever. Mm -hmm. And then as it turned out, 
uh, he ended up getting a new gun. And so he kind of came down here to do a class with us and kind of, you know, run through this new gun, put it through its paces. You know, he was excited about getting it. I was excited for him. It was a really good choice on weapon. Um, and so the, the grips were a little bit different. So in the beginning, he was having a little bit of a rough go on getting the hand position consistent every single time for every shot. Mm -hmm. And so we noticed that and worked on it through the week. And, um, the, I mean, it just got to where it was just, man, these bullets were, man, they were just diving into the same hole every time. Cause we go back and, you know, check, you know, check our zeros and stuff like that after we beat the hell out of the guns and, you know, crank them around and all that crap. But if you're out there and, and you're wondering about that, um, getting that consistent hand position is going to be absolutely vital. And you can learn how to do this in dry fire, you know, where your finger goes, 90 degree trigger finger, uh, you want that trigger to be right in the middle between the first joint and the, and the tip. And then, you know, it, whenever you're dry firing like that, you know, the gun's empty, you're on the range, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with actually lifting up your head and looking at your hand from the left side and the right side, you know, because it's a dry practice thing. So we're learning about this. And if you feel like that you're doing that, and we were able to, we were able to get him a little bit more consistency, make it uh, by moving his trigger forward a bit. Um, this gun is, you know, one of those that has that ability. So God bless Accuracy International. Um, but at any rate, getting that hand position consistent for each shot meant such a difference, made such a difference. And I know I've seen this over the years many, many times, but this is this guy's a really, really good shooter to begin with. And the only problem we had was we were changing to a new gun and it was mm -hmm. kind of identified, you know, hand and trigger finger position. And that was it. You know, that was it. Once we got that to where it was consistent, it was just I mean, it was blowing them out. You know how those guns shoot. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I'm still uh, I haven't. I haven't gotten uh, one yet, but I'm I'm just, I, I keep telling myself I'm not gonna spend any money, but uh, I think I'm gonna have to get one of the new AIs pretty soon. <laughs> well, I will tell you this: uh, since I've received my ATX uh, on two of the classes, uh, the students use that gun, and I know that both of them have gone out and they've already received theirs. Oh yeah, man! It's it, it's a yeah. really nice rifle. Um, yeah, it's they they did it really well, and I'm I'm sure they should be having that that chassis. If if you're not uh, for whatever reason you're not into the the AI action or the trigger or whatnot, they they should be releasing the actual chassis pretty soon, and it, it's a nice chassis. Oh, yeah, good deal. You, uh, speaking of, uh, do we are you are you done with the hand thing? Or are we still talking about the hand thing? Before? Yeah, yeah. I just I just wanted to, I, you know sometimes you know sometimes it's those it's those little things you know that you don't really you know you you think what the hell is going on, and if you just go and check that hand position, you know, and, and see if you can see what the gun does. If you just absolutely make certain that that hand position is the same every time. Yeah. I, I usually, uh, you know, um, I'm pretty, I have short fingers. So that's like the first thing I start doing. If I'm thinking about switching to a chassis or another stock or something as I'm real picky about the, 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 that, uh, 90 degree trigger. So I'll see if I can get it. What I, I like to feel comfortable and how I like to, to do it. Um, but if I'm shooting, say, um, somebody else's rifle a student or just another rifle i i usually build from the trigger back you know dry fire make sure it's clean clear and safe and in a safe direction and i build that 90 degree and then i see where sometimes i have to get them on my fingertips having uh, short fingers a lot of a lot of stocks i have to get up on my fingertips and i start looking for index points like you said i'll, I'll feel for an index point on and figure it out on one of my fingers whichever one has the best feeling and I find that index point every time at, through visual, you know, I'll, I'll, like you said, I'll pull my head off to the left or right and make sure it's there. And then I just really start looking for index points. And as soon as I hit it, that that's where I know I'm at. Yep. I hear you. I hear you. What were you going to bring up? Oh, I was going to say, um, 
uh, chassis. Uh, Terry released a new chassis over the weekend. I, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Really yeah. nice. Yeah, it does. It does. I need to. I need to talk to him about that. But I know he did. He did come out with a new one. So that's pretty good. How was the expo? Uh, it was. It was pretty good. I had a good time. I was back and forth. Uh, I was helping out two different companies. Uh, so. And then there's also an inside and outside. So basically, I was all over the place. Uh, and I, I actually I loaded some ammo for another company. So I was making sure their ammo was running well the whole time. So I was just running all over. Um, it was really good. Like I said, I uh, you know uh, Terry's chassis was there. We were running some uh, pretty high uh, some some good rounds. Like I was I had uh, got a hold of some six uh, six millimeter solids from uh, Patriot Valley Arms. So I was running a hundred mm-hmm. hundred grain solids in a six Creed uh, without any issue at thirty four hundred, and they they had the same wind call at a thousand as a two hundred thirty grain A tip uh, going twenty oh, wow. fifty. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh, there was a I mean, I've, uh, the stars aligned. Everyone that picked up those two rifles was shooting. We had a shot marker at a thousand, and everybody was shooting. You know, at the worst, like a seven-inch vertical at a thousand. It was just pretty cool. Um, we had a. a uh, and who's doing who's doing those bullets? Uh, this was Patriot Valley Arms. Is the the it makes these solids? Uh, he, if you get on his website, okay. uh, he's got them. I think he's got thirty cal. He's got six millimeter. I can't remember the other offerings that he has. Six five. I'm pretty sure. And he has a he has a, a target bullet. And a hunting bullet, I'm, I uh, wasn't prepared for it, so I couldn't tell you exactly what the differences are and, and a little bit different uh, weight there. I will say that, mm-hmm. you know, you have to really be on your game spotting these things at distance since they're mm-hmm. solid and mm-hmm. they just kind of smash up as a piece of copper. You really got to have your, mm-hmm. you know, so keep that in mind if you're messing with these things. You know, obviously the bigger bigger the round, bigger the bullet, the easier it is to see. Um and it is kind of cool. I was able to see, I don't know what the difference is in flight, but seeing trace with these things behind the rifle was actually pretty easy. It was, it was kind of cool. Uh, we had, well, 11, yeah, it was really weird. I, I mean, I, I see trace, uh, a decent mm-hmm. amount, but this one was, I mean, it looked like it was really dear. I'm going to have to test them down here. Uh, you know, because I mean, maybe I was in a different environment or something. Uh, and then we had an 11 year old, uh, actually shoot a, a two inch vertical with the uh, with uh these with both the uh the 300 and the, and the six creedmoor he shot a two inch vertical group at a thousand for both of them it's pretty cool to see oh wow yeah wow, it was, it was cool. good uh you know we saw i, I didn't see a ton uh, i think everybody all the manufacturers seem to be you know they're sold out and can't keep anything on the on the shelves right now so either they've right. kind of um put their new product development on the back burner or they're just waiting for the right time to release stuff so I think Terry's chassis, which was really nice, um, is uh, was kind of the highlight of a new release for the for the expo. Uh, I didn't see. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, Zeiss had their new optic there. Um, it was pretty. Mm-hmm. It it was a nice optic. I mean, you know, you get up into that, uh, you know, the three thousand dollar plus range. They're all very very similar. So it kind of comes down to yep. what, what the user likes. But that was a nice optic. Um, okay. I had several. I can't remember how many, and and I'm sorry, I don't remember all the names. I had several people come up and say they they listened to podcast and and they liked it. So thanks for everybody that introduced yourself, and we appreciate you listening. Good deal, man. Good deal. Well, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to sign off. Um, and uh, I I want to thank you again for for setting all this up so we can get this podcast on. And uh, big shout out to. Philip and Modern Day Sniper. I mean, uh, Kalen and Philip with Modern Day Sniper. I appreciate Kalen coming on and uh, and answering questions for us. But uh, yeah, the uh, other thing I had, um, I just I just received, I just got the new uh, Swarovski eighty, 
and I had the, I, I run a PLRF 25 mm-hmm. and I got that. I put those both on that, uh, that, that mub. Oh, yeah. deal the mub to, mod to does, go on I top think. of my, yeah. And anyway, it's a really good system, but you know, I, I travel to, I travel to train. And so I wanted to, I wanted to get a case for this, a hard case. And I, man, I went to Patriot cases and I told them exactly what I needed. And man, I got, these guys sent me out like the perfect size case in, in really good time. I'm able to submit the spotter in there, my, my, my plurf in there and, and the, uh, the, the muff as well. And so it, it's a, it's a real nice compact package. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to run over it with my truck if it'll take it, but I think it will. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've got to do it. I think I, I might be, uh, I've got that, that swirl like you got, and I think I might be switch, uh, either picking up or swapping over to one of the, the Hensolt 45s for the 15 power, but I'm going to give uh, Patriot Cases a call. That guy does real good work. Yeah, he does, and he was he was able to get that out in a, in a big hurry. But again, uh, guys who helped us out, uh, Loophole, Voodoo, uh, Wee Bad, Patriot Cases, Mile High, um, uh, let's see, Two Vets Tripods, those guys have been really good to us. So, uh, yeah, you, I know you got some people too. Uh, yeah, pretty much the same guys. Uh, let's see, we got... Um, uh, XLR, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Zico, uh, Zero Compromise Optic, uh, Hoplite Arms, uh, ooh, Webads on there, Sniper's Hide, obviously, Rifles Only, uh, all the usuals, uh, Lapua Ammunition, Brass, all that stuff, yeah, and if we're, oh, Fix-It Sticks, I keep, I, I swear, I forget about Fix-It Sticks all the time because they're just, they really are that good that you just don't think about them. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. Well, listen. Like I said, I hate to cut this short, Dave, but I got to, I've got some things I need to take care of. And again, thank you for uh, thank you for putting this together. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care, sir.